Welcome to episode 136 with my guest, uh, listener Juan Medina. My name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, uh, uh, what else do we got? Uh, difficulty with uh, sexuality and intimacy, uh, and just your average day, uh, average day. Ugh. I'm not going to start it over. Everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental... You don't know how hard that was for me to not stop and and go back and do that, but I'm, I'm trying to be more comfortable with making mistakes, and um, oh, it is just... It's like sandpaper on my flesh right now that, that I'm not allowing myself to go back and, and redo that, but I know you guys relate to that. The website for this show is, and I forgot, completely forgot where I was. Um, the web, oh, an hour or two of, on, oh, I said that already. Oh my God. <laughs> on a certain level, this is awesome. Um, the website for this show is uh, mentalpod.com. Please go there and check it out. Read a blog, post in the forum, support it. Buy a t-shirt, buy a coffee mug, um, fill out a survey, see how other people filled out a survey. Um, just go look at the logo. Maybe you just stare at the logo and ease those pants off. I bet there's somebody that's turned on my vintage station wagons. Let's get into it, huh? Uh, this is an email I got from uh, Tamara, Tamara. And she says, on your help section, it would be useful if you had some links for family members of people with mental health issues, depression, bipolar, etc. How can you help slash support an adult family member who is suffering from such a disorder, but who is in complete denial and unwilling to acknowledge their reality uh, as their life is crumbling around them? I don't know the answer to that, um, but I can tell you uh, I've heard people get a lot of um, comfort an insight from going to NAMI.org. Uh, they have uh, free meetings around the country, and uh, I believe NAMI is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And anyway, their website is NAMI.org. And uh, from what I'm told, it was founded as a kind of um, free support group for the loved ones of people who, who uh, live with mental illness and other uh, afflictions. So check that out. The other thing I wanted to read is, um, actually not read, but just share with you. Um, I had always, when I first got sober, I, I had these, these moments of, you know, uh, you know, some people call them God shots where just the, the universe seems to open a door for you that, you know, always seemed to happen when I had the kind of a, a, a positive mental and emotional and spiritual energy, um, with me that day. Like, for instance, if I was going to be of service to do something, I would notice that a parking spot would open up, the perfect parking spot, just as I was arriving there. And I began to feel like there was, I don't know, like, because I can't believe in, you know, in terms of God, I can't believe, as I've mentioned before, of a dude up in the sky with the beard, you know, and the that kind of traditional view of it, because I'm a science guy. And so I thought, well, maybe there's just like the universe is just this cocktail of energy. And when my charge change changes to more positively, 
those pathways line up and it's just all about chemical interactions and the only thing we can change is our charge by trying to become more positive and um and so it turns out that uh this year the nobel prize for physics was awarded uh to two guys for suggesting that an invisible ocean of energy suffusing space is responsible for the mass and diversity of the universe and as soon as i read that i went I'm as smart as the guys that won a Nobel Prize. And then I realized I don't even know what suffusing means. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. <laughs> that is... Very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is one percent event. My body was abused. Ninety-nine percent judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. It really does. I'm here with Juan Medina, who is a, uh, a listener, and uh, you are, are how old again? I'm 26. 26 years old, and you were born in the L.A. area. You now live in Vegas? I was born in Mexico, and I lived uh, in Vegas. Oh, okay. Were, did you spend any part of your life in Southern California? Uh, no. Well, this podcast is over then. Oh, well, <laughs> I'll get going then. <laughs> Why did I think you were – I do remember now that you said that, that you were – uh, you were born in Mexico. Um, I, you know, I have so many emails going with different people at the same time. I apologize. Uh, I'm sure it's hard to keep track. Yeah. I almost never get the, I'm talking with such and such. They're from so-and-so. I almost <laughs> never get it right. I don't know why I don't just have you guys say it. I guess because I, I, I like to run my mouth. But anyway, um, so you were you were born in Mexico, and how did you come to the country? Uh, well... Um, my dad, way before he even met my mom, he would come to the States uh, to work. And um, eventually over time, my mom pressured him like, okay, we have to come live with you. Either you stay with us or we come live with you over there because this kind of back and forth is not working out. And what did your dad come to do? What kind of work? Um, he did, uh, from what I know, just um, labor, just, mm -hmm. just, just work as a... As a laborer, uh, I know he he washed windows. He uh, worked in uh, construction and cleanups. Um, he just did odd jobs just to make some money, and then he would uh, send a little bit our way. And um, and was he here on a visa? Was he here legally? Would he have to come back and forth? At first, um, he, uh, he would come uh, to the states illegally. Mm -hmm. He. Um, I just recently found this out from my mom, which I didn't know. He would actually jump on trains um, that would go from Mexico to the U.S., and he would just sneak on a train, like just hop like a boxcar hobo, just get on, jump on a on a train, and um, make his way to the to uh, California. Wow, um, I, I can't imagine the. Um 
the amount of energy it takes to sneak into another country it was and then to have to work on top of that oh it's um it is um it is a big headache it's not it's not like it's it's any it's easier like you just have to you know kind of kind of wait till no one's looking and then just kind of dash across the line like no it takes a lot of work no matter which way you do it it takes um it takes quite a bit of, uh, bit of work to uh, cross to another country. Yeah. Uh, where in Mexico did you live? I lived in um, uh, a small town in uh, Michoacan uh, called uh, Purandiro. Okay. I'm going to pretend like I know how either of those <laughs> are spelled. How far, how far from the border? What was the closest American city Ooh, to you guys? Um, well, uh, Michoacan's not really close to um, to the States. How do you spell Michoacan? Uh, Michoacan is... Um, M I C H O A C A N. Oh, I've seen that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few restaurants that use that word. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm doing that mostly for the people that mm-hmm. transcribe the show. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, and, and what was the, uh, the other. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Purandiro. Yeah, that's a little tricky. It's P U R U A N D I R O. Okay. Um, so. What was the closest American city to those, and how 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 many miles was it? Oh, um, we weren't. Uh, it, it's not close to the states at all. It's kind of um, um, it's kind of uh, in the southern part of Mexico, oh. kind of where um, where the country kind of uh, bends at the at the coastline around there. Um, so your dad would then clearly not go back all the way to southern Mexico when he would come across. Was there a place in? In Me- or or did he? Well, what he would do is he would um, he had some friends, and they would travel. Um, they would travel, you know, up north uh, near the border, and he, then from there they would uh, get on a hop on a train and and uh, get across to the states. So he would have a, a place to stay near the border. Uh, I don't think he had a, a, a place to stay. He just kind of. Um, he he would get a ride, and once he got there, I think he maybe stayed in a hotel if he needed to at a, at a motel. Okay. And so he just waited for the train to come. And was his goal to eventually settle in the United States or to just keep making money and keep your family afloat and stay where you were in southern Mexico? Um, I think his goal was kind of to pretend he was uh, single with no family. He... um um he did kind of well my grandfather did as well he would uh he would work in the states um uh, send money back to the family and um he would send back, uh, money back to the family um and maybe um for a month or so stay and then spend the rest of the time uh, in the states and for for what purpose to to lead the life of a of a single man with no strings attached, or did it make it easier for for him to keep a low profile by pretending he was single with no family? Um. Uh, well, what uh, my mom thinks is that he just kind of um, if you could um, if he could uh, it was his only cha- kind of way to kind of like pretend he was single with no kids for a while is um, you know he would work in another country, send us money, and he would uh, visit us. Um, very few days. Um, I have um, a brother and two sisters, and, um, and one of your sisters is, is um, here. Yes, and she's actually the uh, the only one that was born in the states. Uh, the rest of us were born in Mexico, and he was not there for uh, any of our births. Um, so he was he was kind of uh, he was kind of absent a lot. 
Um, I remember um, when I was uh, a little kid, and my mom would uh, would tell me too that when he would he would come, I didn't know he was my, my dad. He would uh, show up at the door, and I would just uh, tell my mom, "Mom, mom, my uncle's here." Mm. And because uh, he, you know, he just he just wasn't around a lot. Um, just very very rarely, like just for a few days. So, how did you then come to? And are, are your parents still together or no? I uh, know they're not. Okay. They got divorced probably five years ago. Okay. Um, so how did? And, and did you feel like your your dad was living another life here in the in the states that he was hiding from you guys, or did you not know? Or um, my mom uh, kind of felt he doesn't have another family. But my mom kind of felt that he was just kind of, um, kind of uh, postponing his fatherly duties as much as he could, and just by saying, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to work in the states and send you guys money," mm-hmm. and um, that'll be the end of my responsibility. Yeah, pretty much. Until my mom finally pressured him, like, "No, this isn't this isn't working out. You you know you have to either uh, work here and be with your family, or we move uh, to the states with you." And so uh, he said, "Okay, come to the states." Um. Um. My mom probably wouldn't say it. it was that simple. It's like, oh, sure, why not? But after 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 um, being pestered a lot, um, um, yeah, we moved to uh, um, to Vegas. And how old were you when that happened? I was around eight years old. And what do you remember of that? I remember, I remember a lot of a lot of trips to um, Mexico City, trying to get everything um, um, get everything settled so I can come, uh, so we could all come here legally. Um, my father and 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 from what I understand, mm-hmm. it's not easy to to come here legally because there's a cap on yes. how many people can can move here. And was that difficult? Was it just luck that you guys were able to? We um we lucked out because if um if your parents um are citizens. Um, or were citizens of the United States, they, uh, they're actually more lenient on you. And it just so happened that um, my dad's dad and my mom's dad were at one point U.S. citizens. Oh, really? Yeah, they came, um, they came to the States legally. They became citizens to work, and they didn't like it, and they went back to Mexico. Okay. Do you know why they didn't like it? Um, what, um, what a lot of people don't understand is that Whilst a lot of Mexicans um, supposedly, you know, um, go to the U.S. for a better life, a lot of them prefer uh, prefer um, Mexico because, well, they're adults. They live their whole lives there. You know, if you come here in your 30s and 40s, you might not like it. You might like the culture you grew up with better. Some people do like it. My mom loves it here. But some people, you know, I, I know, uh, I know of a lot of people. That um, that eventually they just moved back because yeah, they just like oh you know what um, uh, I just want to go back home it's uh, simpler uh, simpler living and um, and uh, I know or with I- a, with a few guys they're just like yeah my my wife's not liking it so we're heading back. Mm-hmm. I would imagine if you move here at at a you know when you're middle aged it, it's probably hard to um, not feel like a visitor uh, because you've got all that all that stuff you're used to back back home it is a culture shock and uh, not knowing uh, the language doesn't help either um, I picked it up pretty 
pretty fast because I was eight years old. Within a year and a half, I was able to um, to speak uh, English and communicate better. But uh, my mom you has have, been, and you have no accent. I don't, I don't oh, hear any. Thank you. Any accent? It'll come out. If, uh, yeah. if, if I'm nervous, all of a sudden um, it'll come out. I've actually had um, for uh, for the listeners, um, uh, like uh, we're talking about, I'm Mexican, but I look pretty much white. I, um, I have blonde hair and like bluish green eyes, and I just confuse people when I tell them my name is Juan. They just look look yeah. at me funny. Yeah. If I go to a to a restaurant and they ask for your name for a table or for your food, and they uh, when they ask for my name, you know, I tell them Juan. And they're like, excuse me. <laughs> uh, it's Juan. Juan, you say? Yes, Juan. I know. I know. Um, and sometimes I just say John, just so just so, yeah. so I can avoid saying my name three or four times. Yeah. But um. Yeah, and um, since been here 18 years, my mom has picked up enough English um, so she can communicate at work. But you know, she's it's still broken. It's still broken because it's uh, when you're older. She came here in her 30s. When you're older, it's just it takes a lot of work to actually pick up a second language. As a little kid, like I just wanted to watch cartoons, so I had to learn the language. <laughs> so, what do you remember uh, about moving here when when you were? I would imagine there's a, a fairly sizable Latino population in Vegas, so it yes. wouldn't have been like moving to St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> no, no, uh, yeah. Um, I uh, halfway uh, I started halfway my second grade here, and it was um, they they do have a program in um, the Clark County School District where I went in elementary school where they have um, um, uh, the students are divided into uh, you know, um, first to fifth grade into like six different tracks, and one track was English as a second language. And um, in that one, they stuck uh, they would uh, uh, stick kids in there that are, are foreign. That um, uh, it's uh, they're struggling to learn uh, English, or they just moved. And uh, from there, um, they uh, they learn. They don't really they're, they're not classed in Spanish, but that's where they they just put them together. I see. And um, I, I would think they just went over things uh, more slowly until kids picked up the language, and then um, it took me about by the end of, uh, by the probably third grade they moved me out of that English as a second language that track. That feel great. Oh, I was I was pretty proud of myself. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm going to I'm going with the white kids. You should feel you should <laughs> feel great. I mean, that's a. That's an accomplishment. I suppose it also, not to minimize your accomplishment, but kids are such sponges. Um, oh, you know, absolutely. that's a testament too. That's that's what just makes it easier. Yeah, because as a, as a little kid, you just pick up everything. It's it's um, it's a lot simpler to learn a second language when your brain is still developing. Mm-hmm. So just coming here, being dropped off in another language, going just going to another school, where. Um, and everything was still in English, you know, the, from work to uh, what the teacher spoke. Everything was still in Engli- English. So eventually, you just you pick it up slowly. I remember still in fourth grade. I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm not really quite sure how to say this, but I can still get by. Mm-hmm. And at, at what age did did you become a legal citizen? I became a uh, a citizen around middle school. I would think it was um, seventh grade because we got we got our uh, green card, and you know. Uh, residency, all all straight now to uh, to live in the states, and I was in middle school, and my mom uh, told me, "It's like, hey, by the way, um, you're now a citizen of the United States." And I'm like, "What? Wait, what? What was I before?" 
I just didn't understand. I'm like, what? Was I not allowed to be here before? Was I a house guest yeah. of America? <laughs> uh, what What was it like being – I would imagine you you were able to hear white people's racism because they thought you – weren't Hispanic, so you were probably privy to some racist conversations. Absolutely. Um, even today, I'm, I work as a maintenance engineer in a, in a hotel in Vegas, and all my coworkers, it's a union job, and all my coworkers are pretty much um, um, 30s to, you know, guys in their 30s from their 60s, um, white males. And because I don't look Mexican, sometimes some racist things come out of their mouth and and they just kind of forget that I'm Mexican and they'll just kind of look at me like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm like, um, sure you are. Um, I've heard you drop the N-bomb multiple times, but I'm sure you're joking about Mexicans. <laughs> does, it, does it bother you? It does. Um, it does bother me. Um... Not to the point where I can't work with these guys, but inside it just it does bug me. What does it feel like? Um, it just it it hurts because uh, as pr- as proud as I am of uh, of my uh, Mexican heritage, I do feel American. I've been here since um, since I was eight years old, so I do feel American um, when um, when things aren't. Um, when things aren't going well in this country, you know, I get upset because I want them to because I do want this country to be better than it is. Um, so hearing and hearing somebody say something about where I was born, it just doesn't. It just it just hurts. I'm just it. You know, it's, you just you just get angry for you know, it's like I, my own. Um, do you, do you feel like? Um, Describe, if you can, what it feels like in your in your body. Is it like a flush feeling in your face where you're you feel humiliated, or is it like a rage that you want to punch him? It is. It is a mixture of um, of humiliation and um, and rage, and just kind of you know, if I, I hear a coworker say something, I'm just just keep my head down, and just just I just shake my head and just and try not to say anything, and eventually. They real they kind of remember. Oh yeah, oh Juan's here, and they kind of just look at me. They seem like, oh, am I okay? I'm just, I just ignore them. I just ignore them. And um, what would you like to say to them sometimes? Um, that it doesn't matter what country you're from. If you're a good person, you're a good person, and you're an asshole for thinking less of a whole group of people that you don't know. Um, I think um, it's um, uh, Latinos and, um, and black people have, have a, a, this problem in this country where they're generalized. They, uh, people build stereotypes about um, black and, um, and Hispanics and white people don't get that for some reason. I would disagree with you because I have run across uh, I not to the degree mm-hmm. I think that that you guys experience it and and certainly um 
you know, because we are the ruling class, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I have come across um, people who, if if they're not racist towards white people, they will tell me, oh, my, my mother told me, don't ever be a fr- friends with a white person. You can't trust the white man, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that bothers me. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not in any way comparing my quote unquote <laughs> struggle to your struggle. But I, I take exception to the idea that there that there isn't um, reverse racism. But uh, ours is certainly not a struggle. It's more of a a novelty, right? No, though there's a, there's racism no matter what you're, where you're from, what you like there look like. There's always racism, but uh, there's certain stereotypes that like I could have. You know, I could have a conversation with somebody and just to be about race and just they, they can just ask me like something like, like, wow, why do, um, oh, why do, um, Mexicans have, uh, have kids in their teens? I'm just, and I'm like, I don't know how to, how to answer that because I'm Mexican, I'm 26 and with no kids. So I don't know how, what this, this generalization comes from that, you know, all Mexicans have kids young, and I'm just, I'm standing here like it would be like you asking me why do you love slaves so much? <laughs> well, what was it with you guys and slaves? I'm yeah. just, I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I think I think there's something in our DNA that allowed us to survive by making broad generalizations, mm-hmm. but in many ways it's not serving us anymore because you know I find myself thinking racist thoughts sometimes. Um, um, you know, judging something prior to investigating it, um, and and it makes me feel a little bit uh, a little bit ashamed. But I think, how how do you get raised in our in our society and not have some of the those things affect you when when you know when I was a kid growing up in the seventies, I I never saw an example of a of a black professional. Um, it was they played the pimp right. or they played uh you know the street person mm-hmm. or the maid and it was when i started working for an insurance company in my late teens early 20s um i was the sole white person in a pool of like 30 black women mm-hmm. and that was the best education i ever got right. because we became friends. They began to take me to their places. I went to eat soul food with them and, um, you know, drove through the projects with them. And, and it was, um, I felt, I don't know if I've ever felt so accepted. And so, um, I don't know when somebody, when somebody takes you in and shows you their culture i think that's like one of the most loving vulnerable things that that somebody can do for you and i i i'll never forget that but i who i was before i met them was a vastly different person than who i was after i met them and i think so much racism could be changed just by simply hanging out with each other that's something that's uh, i think it's a problem in this country is um is uh empathy um you know not to get um um, political or anything, um, there was um, that congressman that, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, against gay marriage, but as his son came out as being gay, and, you know, he started to see things from a different point of view, and, you know, he changed his opinion on that. 
Do you think that is because somebody has an inherent hostility in them or is it their inability to picture themselves in someone else's shoe or shoes or the shoe in case the person has one foot <laughs> um, or is it that they they don't want to try to put themselves in someone else's shoes and picture what their life is like I think a lot of people are struggling with their own life so putting themselves in someone else's shoe is just um, it's just too much work because they're they're struggling they're struggling um, in their own life with you know just getting by so actually um, worrying about other people's struggles is not really an option and um, and for the most part um, politicians just kind of feed on that instead of actually making things better oh I agree I definitely agree it's 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 a much easier way to campaign um, by embracing people's fear mm-hmm. and broad generalizations oh yeah uh, than, than it is to offer actual solutions <laughs> exactly that might involve a, a, a special interest group not getting its money yeah exactly yeah so let's talk about mental issues that that you've struggled with in your life what when was the first mental issue that that you began to feel like something's not right with me um I've uh, actually discovered a lot of things um, uh, pretty recently about myself um, that I just didn't know, but it um, um, a lot of the a lot of the issues that I had to deal with all started when uh, we moved here to the states when we moved in with my dad. Um, um, from from a little kid, I was uh, I was really scared of him. Even though I didn't see him much, I don't have that many memories of him from when uh, when I lived in Mexico. Um, there's just a few memories where you know just seeing him drunk, and um, just um, throwing up in the garden. Fucking Mexicans! <laughs> <laughs> they got this an awful beer, <laughs> and um, just being you know like four years old and seeing you know this this guy that you know just you you know. You're you're just learning that he's your father, and just violently throwing up and just like being sick. First time I saw that, I, I was like, "Is he going to be okay? Is he is he dying right here? I have no idea what's going on." So there, I've never seen that. So there was a volatility to your dad. That, yes, that was made it hard to feel vulnerable from 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 the start. It was just being um, being scared of him, and um, it's something. It's something that the whole family. Uh, pretty much felt when um, when we all lived in together. That's when uh, we all moved to Vegas and lived together, and just in a small like, three bedroom apartment. We that's when um, things got worse because we actually got to spend you know mm-hmm. more time with him. Yeah. Uh, how often was his drinking out of control or clearly a problem or an issue? Um, when uh, I was younger, um, it was a, a much bigger problem. When I was, uh, let's say. Um, elementary school to middle school, he quit drinking. Uh, I don't really think he was an alcoholic. I don't think he drinks today. He just couldn't handle his alcohol, and it brought out his rage. And there was multiple times where we would go to a a, a family or a friend's um, uh, birthday party, and I could recall multiple times where he was just you know way too drunk to be driving. And but there we were all in the car, just crying and. Um, 
just scared because he, you know, he was just driving drunk on the wrong side of the lane. And oh just, my god! Yeah, it was. You know, that was uh, that was terrifying as a kid. Wow, that uh, the loss of control must have been so profound. That feeling of this, my my life is in this person's hands. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, he's um. Your father's supposed to be is supposed to be kind of a strong male role model, and you know we never I never really saw that you know as a kid. Would you talk to each other about him, or did everybody just kind of keep it to themselves um we would we would talk we would talk to each other I would talk to uh um to my sister who's probably a year and a half younger than me and uh we would talk. Is it the sister that's here? No, no, no. She's uh, okay. she's um, she's eighteen. And what is the sister's name again? Uh, Yvonne. Yvonne. And Yvonne is eighteen. Eighteen. Yes. Okay. And how old is your old your other sister? 20, uh, my other 24? sister is twenty four, and I have a brother that's twenty. Okay. And Yvonne, if at some point you you want to chime in on anything, uh, you're welcome to uh, to come over and <laughs> shaking her head. No, <laughs> she's okay. I just want you to know that that's you know that's open to you if you if you choose to. Thanks. Um, so you would, what would you say to each other? You know, oh, we were just scared. It's my, uh, my, my childhood. I, all I remember is I have, I blocked a lot out just because, you know, just your brain protects you from any traumatic experiences and just decides, you know, we're, we're going to kind of move this to the side and forget about it. Um, we're going to open that when we're 38. Yeah. We're going to open this later and yeah. just, um, we're not, you know what? For ten years, you're not going to be sure if this was a dream. Eventually, you're going to find out it wasn't, and then uh, it's going to all hell's going to break loose. But when um, I just remember living in fear when I was a kid because as soon as we heard um, the key going to the door, or uh, my dad's uh, my dad's truck pulling up in front of the house, it's just oh god, he's here. Um, Oh, I'm just gonna go in my room, or um, where can where can I go? That you know, where can I where can I be out of sight? Pretty much, mm-hmm. that was pretty much uh, my child, whole childhood and the whole time I lived. Um, I lived in a house with them. It's like, oh man, he's here. There was never like, oh, dad's home. It was, oh god, I hope he doesn't um, hope he doesn't start yelling at my mom today. I hope I don't get singled out. Yeah. Oh, um, would he? Was he violent towards? You guys, um, I don't know. Um, Yvonne might remember more. I don't remember him being. Um, there was some, uh, you know, corporal punishment. Um, I don't remember not too much coming from my dad. It's more, more just uh, more emotional, psychological, and just um, just living in fear. It just will mess you up in your own house. Um, when you said I don't remember coming from my dad, would it come from someone else? Um, no. Okay. Um, I remember. I remember when I was uh, I was in first grade in uh, in Mexico. Um, a kid in my class had a had a Super Nintendo, so I went to his house because he had a freaking Super Nintendo and Street Fighter yeah. Two, so I wanted to play, and um, I did it. A couple of times where I just went straight up to school to his house and just played, stayed there for way too long, and then went home. And my mom was just worried, sick, and um, 
and uh, she uh, she uh, uh, beat me with a rope just because oh, she was just angry that you know I, I was stressing her out and all that. And uh, and not too long ago, we were uh, having a discussion about um, um, you know hitting kids and how that's not exactly discipline. People just think, um, yeah, there's a lot of kind of self entitled and bratty kids. But just hitting them is not what what makes right. a, what makes uh, a kid grow up to be a good person. It's you know it's good parenting, and, con- and, and consequences are great. Oh, great for kids. Consequences but. are great. You know I don't I don't think a backhand is a uh, you know the best con- the best you know punishment for a, for a young mind. And it and it sends such a weird message to kids when it's I was worried about you. I'm going to let you know how worried I was by hurting you physically. Oh, yeah. It's such a weird mixed message. It's you know it's it's it doesn't make sense at all. It's, but um um not, not too long ago, you know, I uh I brought it up to her and she's like, "Man, geez, you know, like that like I know much about parenting. I'm 26 with no kids." Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, I'm just like, "Ah, you know, I, don't, I think, you know, hitting kids does more harm than good." And um, I told her, "Like, wait, if you take, um, if you want to take your, your new dog and you want to train him, and so he can be uh, obedient and a well-behaved dog, you go to a trainer. The first thing he doesn't do is here's a roll of newspaper. If uh, he doesn't do what you want, you just hit him with it. There's no good trainer that does that. It's you know kind of positive reinforcement and uh, all kinds of tricks that don't involve hitting the dog at all. Mm-hmm. And I told my mama that um, that." Hitting is not good enough for a dog. Why would it be good enough for a kid? And my mom's, uh, my mom's, she's she's uh, she's a she's a great person, and she didn't she didn't kind of like try to defend, like well you know what I've hit my kids and you know sometimes you, no she didn't try to defend her past um, past decisions at all. She was like you're right, you know, um, hitting hitting your kids is not it's not right and. It felt good for her, for her to say that, just because. It had to feel amazing. Oh, you're like, you know, wow, you know that, because it, it's so rare for just any adult to just admit, you know, they made, you know, a simple mistake over nothing, but about a, ch- a mistake with your children, that's that takes, you know, that takes a lot of bravery. Yeah, you know, as you share that, I'm thinking to myself, when when parents hit their kids to let their anger out because they were afraid the kid was lost mm-hmm. or something like that, you know. I remember my my mom wouldn't uh, wouldn't hit me, but she would like rage at me mm-hmm. because she was worried. And I just remember th- thinking, I feel like an object that you treasure, and you're not addressing who I am inside. It's more like what my presence means to your life. Like I'm an important thing to you right. that you were afraid that you lost. And it, when your mom apologized to you. It, it's so touching to me because it feels like that's the part of you that you want your parent to see as a kid, your humanity, your the soft part of you. Absolutely. That, that your that your parent is supposed to protect. Absolutely. Um yeah, it meant a lot just for here for uh for uh for me to hear her say that. That just you know what? Um that's something I shouldn't have done. And um, maybe there's something uh, I should have done in another way, but just you know, she didn't know how to handle it at that moment. And that's that's actually that's actually like a memory, just like kind of like oh wow, I really liked video games as a kid. Um, I don't have any like 
any memories that stand out of my father hitting me, but that's the one that um, just like my father's um, um, kind of like um, uh, psychological torture. That's what that's what that's what affected me the most. And before we get to that, mm-hmm. I just want to interject too that we I think we also have a responsibility once we're adults to say, okay, this happened to me. Mm-hmm. I have to accept that it's a part of my reality. How am I going to move forward? Absolutely. And ideally, we get to a place where we can have compassion because our parents didn't have the tools to cope with their overwhelming feelings. And and maybe we even get to a place where, where we forgive them and accept them as they are. Easier said than done. Um, Absolutely. Um, and I've heard you mention on the on the podcast before, I don't want this to be a, a blame uh, blame my parents kind of thing um, because it's that doesn't really do anything for you. Um, um, you just the, you kind of deal with w- what has happened and um, you learn to you learn to forgive people. Yeah, you know, hopefully we we reexamine our childhoods not to make our parents suffer, but to process the feelings we've been running from our whole lives so we can stop suffering. Absolutely. Um resentment's not going to make me feel like a like a new person. Right. You know, it's that's not going to that's not going to help me even though that's a phase of what you right. have to go through in process. Oh, absolutely. There you know, there's um anger and resentment. You kind of go through those phases before you kind of like you get past that and just okay, how am I going to how am I going to overcome it? Mm-hmm. So, what was some of the psychological torture that uh, your dad would inflict? Well, is um, he's um, he has a very loud and intimidating voice, which I recently found out I have too. That he, he's just one of those people that you know. You see some of those people that just when they get angry, you don't really. Usually, like, well, that person's angry. And when you see somebody else that looks out of control when they're angry, just, oh, my God, what's he going to do? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of angry he was. And just um, I think he didn't quite know how to deal with, you know, having a family and, you know, supporting, you know, everybody. But he would, uh, you know, he, w- he would get into such, you know, sh- screaming matches. Uh, well, it wasn't a screaming match because my mom wasn't really screaming at him. Mm-hmm. You know, she 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 doesn't have that loud a voice, and you know, eventually it would just end up with her with her crying. And uh, some of those altercations, some sometimes um, became physical. So you just, as a little kid, and when you hear that, and he would hit your mom. Yeah, yeah, he um, he uh, he spent uh, a night in jail because uh, my mom called the the cops on him. Um, I don't um, know exactly, you know exactly how many times he physically abused her, but you know he only uh, my mom only called the cops on him once when she could have done it multiple times. It must be so painful to to watch. It is. Um. Luckily, I didn't see much. But just hearing it, it um, it was, it was just painful to hear, um, you know, your mother crying, your father yelling, and just you, you don't know what to do. Once again, as an no- eight, ten-year-old kid, 
you're just helpless. You can't do anything about it. You just kind of wait for it to be over. So, so many instances of just no control and on the verge of chaos in your in your childhood. On tiptoes the whole time. Just like that's why whenever he got home, we were just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? So how could you not grow up to be an anxious person? I kind of shut down uh, as I got older. I shut down. Um, and uh, I tried to I tried to kind of be invisible. I thought if um if I got good grades in school, I didn't cause any trouble. Um I don't know. Maybe any- maybe they won't fight. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, he won't and my dad won't do anything to my mom. I just have to be um kind of just be invisible. Have don't, no have no needs. No needs. Absolutely no needs. Just, you know, bring home a good report card. It's like, hey, um, hopefully this makes you happy. You don't get mad or anything. And um, so that made me, uh, that made me very, uh, that made me keep to myself a lot. It's such an unmanageable way to go through life because then other people's opinion of you becomes your, your God, for lack of a better word, your, your barometer of how you're doing. Absolutely. Um, Especially when you don't have that at home. You don't have, um, you know, you don't have um, your parents congratulating you. It's like, hey, good, uh, you know, you got a straight A's or um, you got um, you got a, an art award. You know, that's great. It was just kind of like um, my dad didn't know how to handle that. Um, he didn't know. There was no hey, congratulations on anything. And my mom was just, you know, my mom did her best. But she was just always on toes with him too, because I could over anything, over anything that could just set him off. Is it uncomfortable when you're in a romantic relationship with somebody that sees you? Does it feel smothering to you? Does it feel? Do you have a hard time accepting that somebody loves you and is into you? Um, it's um. Or does it it's feel a great, great? It's a great feeling that I don't, uh, that, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to take up for granted. But I don't, I don't believe in um, compliments people tell me. It's mm-hmm. it's hard for me to take any compliments. Why do you think they're telling you that? Um, I think, I think if they give me a compliment, I think it's true. But I'm trying to tell myself it's true. But in my mind, I'm just like, oh, they're just, they're lying. They're just saying you saying that to kind of make you feel better, but they're they're lying. Because they feel a little sorry for you. Yeah, exactly. They think you need it. Exactly. Oh, I totally relate to that. Yeah. Or the the other one that my brain loves to come up with is they don't know. Oh, they yeah. just don't clearly don't have good taste. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, have a, you know. If, if, they're not very observant. Right. A girl, you know, a girl tell me, is like, God, you're so handsome. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. You don't. What are you? What are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> Put your glasses on. It's just. It's hard for me to take compliments. That's that's something I'm working on to just kind of just be more acceptant and not you know, kind of like you know toss you know kind of toss it away with a joke or something. I'm just trying to be you know true. That's something I'm working on. Um, the other thing that you talked about. Do you want to talk more about your your anxiety? Because I'd like to talk about the body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. Um, would now be an okay yeah, time sure. to talk about that. Yeah, kind of. How do you how do you experience that? When did that start happening? Um, 
how did it progress? Did it progress? Well, I started um, I started gaining weight around fifth grade. I started to become uh, a little a little, little chubby kid, and in middle school it um, it didn't it didn't get too bad. Um, but I was um, I was a pretty fat middle schooler. I don't, I don't say, I say not, not too bad because I wasn't like morbidly obese, but I did gain a significant amount of weight. Where I remember at one point being um, around um, in middle school, I was around um, 15 pounds heavier than my dad, and um, I was um, I was not that tall of a kid. So it was um, you know I put on quite a bit of weight. Uh, in uh, freshman year of high school, I was still a pretty chunky kid, and then uh, then I grew, and um, the rest of high school I was uh, looking back at pictures now, and I was so scrawny. I just grew out of it. I started exercising and eating less, and uh, I looked so scrawny. Just <laughs> recently looked back at my pictures, and I still felt like that fat kid. It didn't. I remember thinking like still like oh, I gotta lose weight. I gotta lose weight. I gotta lose weight. And looking back at some pictures, like what? How, how was I, I going to lose weight? I, w- I look so scrawny, but I still remember feeling that I'm still, you know, I'm still that big, uh, big, um, big uh, chubby kid. Today, I'm a lot better about what I look like, but for the longest time, I can't. The mirror, I wasn't looking at myself in the mirror. I mean, I was, but I c- didn't see myself. When you're disconnected from your body, you don't take care of yourself. Have you ever gone to uh, a therapist? No, I haven't. Do you think that would be a good idea to to talk about the the anxiety and the struggle with your body and your view of your body and and processing the stuff that happened in your childhood? Oh, absolutely. I think it would help. Right now, I'm just kind of just um, trying to uh, figure things out on my own. Um, How's that going? I'm 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 doing an okay job. I'm sure if I had the help of a professional, yeah. it would be a lot easier yeah. than me, you know, trying to trying to figure things out yeah. on my own. So, any other kind of seminal moments from your life or anything you're struggling with now that you'd you'd like to to touch on before we uh take it out with uh fears and loves? Oh, well, right now I'm a lot better with um uh, with my appearance. My vision of myself is my is still distorted. But I have uh, I've gotten better at it. My anxiety has gotten better because I because I, I shut down as a little kid, so being around new people just made me anxious and just I shut down. I went um, skydiving last week, and I didn't completely feel that adrenaline rush. That so that worried me. How many times have you skydived? That that was the first time. Really, first time I ever I ever you know skydove, and. I really didn't feel much, much of that adrenaline rush, no fear. So I, I, I was trying to stay in the moment. We were, you know, in this tiny plane. We took off, and I was trying to. I, I was literally telling myself, "Don't shut down. Take in the moment, and enjoy it." And you know, it's pretty safe. But come on, you're supposed to freak out because this is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And um, the guy I was uh, jumping with, he was like, "All right, we're gonna." We're gonna get to you know certain altitude. We're gonna open the door. We're gonna sit, um, sit outside the plane here. You just want you to lean back against me, cross your arms. We're gonna fall. We're gonna do a couple of flips. And you're attached to him. Yeah, I'm attached to him. We're gonna do a couple of flips. We're gonna free fall for a bit. I'm gonna let the chute go, and then we're just gonna glide. I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. 
I was uh, I was attached to him. He was on my back. We let ourselves go. We jumped, did a few flips. It was awesome. Um, we we're just free falling for a second. He gave me the tap on the shoulder. That means that I'm about to open the shoot. Mm-hmm. He opens the shoot. We glide, and I was I didn't feel that much of a rush. So that's 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 something I know I have to work on because I shut down. Um, you know, I, I remember the view. I remember spinning out of that plane, but I didn't feel much. I think that's a really common thing with people who um, suffer from depression. And I'm not trying to diagnose you uh, with mm-hmm. with depression, but I know uh, I often describe it as I feel like there's a thick piece of plexiglass between me and my life mm-hmm. and I can intellectually appreciate what's happening but I don't get the feelings that I'm looking for yeah I've never been diagnosed with depression but I do know that you know a certain, a certain situation I'm like oh I was depressed back then and it has affected uh, you know uh, relationships in the past where just I kind of shut down and you know what's what's you know what's the other person to do when someone's just depressed and Especially when you're in your early twenties, you don't want to go out. You don't like to talk to people, and when you when you shut down like that, you know, it just it's it's hard to date somebody that's like that. Do you go into fantasy when you shut down? Where does your head go when you shut oh, down? I kind of just I kind of just disassociate with myself and just stay in my head and you know not think much. Just just kind of stand there and just. Um, Waiting for it to be over or thinking about worst case scenario or thinking about where you'd like to be? Uh, I don't do much um, worst case scenario. Sometimes I do do like to pretend pretend it's like, oh, maybe this could be going better. You know, maybe maybe I could be having fun, but sometimes I just don't have it in me just to like start, you know, start talking. And I can be, and I can be, you know, uh, talkative and make people laugh. But when I shut down, I'm just... I don't want to be there. One of the things I, I do when I shut down, which is so unhealthy, is I'll think, okay, how long until we get the fuck out of here? Yeah. This social event. And so I'll focus on who I think needs to do what for this thing to be wrapped up. And then I'll just focus on that person who I think, okay, that person needs to open their birthday present so I can get the fuck out of here. And so I'll just be looking at that person, looking at the birthday presents, looking back and forth, just like, right. okay, this conversation, how, how many more sentences is this conversation they're in probably going to have? And it's such a disconnected way to go through life. But when you when you're feeling that where people feel like sandpaper and you just want to be back in your cocoon, whatever that is. Um, it's, it's just so, I don't even know what the word training. Um, it's just whatever, whatever the opposite of life affirming is. It definitely makes, um, your depression worse. Cause I've, I've done that where I've kind of just looked at my, uh, keep looking at my phone. Just, okay. How long, how long do I have to stay here <laughs> before it's acceptable for me to leave? Yes. And, you know, I have an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to download it. Yeah. I, 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 I could use it in some situations. Um, it's it's sad because I'm kind of I kind of don't feel anything towards my dad since I was eight. Giving him a hug is just as awkward as it is now. But I don't I don't dread talking to him. I don't dread seeing him. I just see him. I don't feel much for the guy, but I see him and you know don't do much. We see him around. The, uh, see him on the holidays. When I see him, I give him a hug. You know, just because I know staying mad at him or just avoiding him is not going to help anything. So I do have a, I do communicate with him, even though you know they got divorced. Um, and actually, my mom's the one that pushes 
all her kids. Like, well, you should talk to your father. Make sure you talk mm-hmm. to him. He's the only one you have. Make sure you know, don't just you know blow him off. So I think, and I think that's helpful too, just to have in my life and just be like, yeah, um, you know, it's not gonna, that's not gonna dictate the rest of my life was what happened when I was younger. And and I think, you know, my opinion on having contact with a parent who was toxic when you were a kid is is that toxicity still there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people will say, and, and you know, I'm talking about my relationship uh, with my mom, and some people will say, you know, don't cut her out of your life. She's your mom. She's not going to be around forever. You're going to regret it. And that would be, I may get to that point where I have contact with her again, but there's a toxicity that is still there. The same things that were being done when I was uh, a kid uh, emotionally still feel like they're there. And that, I feel like it's self-parenting for me to um, protect myself from feeling that hurt over and over again and not feeling hurt and not feeling felt. I I can let go of things that happened in the past, but not if... A different version of that is going to keep happening every time I see that person. Oh, absolutely. My my sister doesn't want to see my dad at all. That's nothing. Wants nothing to do with him. So, eventually, eventually, you come around or you might not. All right. Let's get into uh, the fears. I'm going to be reading fears from a listener named Natalie. Uh, and she writes, I'm afraid somebody at the Catholic church I attend has seen the birth control pills I keep in my purse. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm afraid of going completely bald. Uh, I'm afraid that one of the students in my special ed class isn't actually a child with special needs, but a secret shopper reporting back to the superintendent. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Never gotten that one. Wow. I'm afraid that that I won't fall in love with someone else again. Uh, I'm afraid that I won't get very far in life because of all the times I've chosen avoidance as a coping mechanism. Oh yeah, I can relate to that one. <laughs> um. I'm afraid of being uh, being stuck in my current job forever. Let's see. Natalie says, I'm afraid my hamster will escape and I'll accidentally step on her while looking <laughs> for her. That's a great one. Um, I'm afraid of not finding a career I'm passionate about. Uh, I'm afraid of getting the wrong idea across when communicating digitally. I proofread text messages and emails about four to five times before sending, and then I beeline for the sent folder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do that. Um uh, I'm afraid that not getting a college degree will haunt me the rest of my life. I'm afraid of eating the wrong way on a first date. Is he looking for a girl who gets her fingers dirty on ribs and buffalo wings, or is he looking for someone more ladylike and demure? (laughs) Um, I'm afraid of uh, letting myself go physically and not noticing. Uh, I'm afraid I'll screw up the spiritual lives of my future children by either uh, taking them to a bad church or by never taking them and never challenging them to use that side of their brain. Mm. I'm afraid of uh, of not having any connection with my kids if I have them because I don't really feel one towards my father. Uh, I'm afraid I'll disclose my rape fantasies to a sex partner who proves to be untrustworthy and vi- violates our safety word. Um, I'm afraid of uh, losing a family member. Uh, as an ex-vegan and a recovering bulimic, I'm afraid that there is no perfect food. Everything out there seems like it's exploitive or unhealthy in some way. Um, I'm afraid that um, people will find uh, this podcast boring. 
Uh, I'm afraid that I'm no fun sober and that weed and alcohol are the only reason I have friends. <laughs> uh, that's all I got for her. And that was all she has. All always, right. always moments of synchronicity <laughs> on, the, on the fears and the loves. Um, you want to start with your first love? Sure. Um, I love my mom's tamales. Uh, I love that moment right before sex when you just know that you and your partner will come at the same time. <laughs> That's a great one. I um, I love uh, a good uh, dark beer from a smaller brewery that's not uh, from uh, Anheuser-Busch. Oh, that used to be my favorite. <laughs> Guinness and Boddington. I used oh. to love those. Um, and bass. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, I love blasting choral music or opera in my car with the windows down. I love uh, Super Nintendo era video games. Mm, me too. <laughs> uh, I love warm bread on a cold day. Uh, I love going to see live music. I love puppy breath. I uh, I love pit bulls. I think uh, they're great dogs if they're um, raised by the good by good people. Oh, pit bulls! I yes. thought you said pibbles. I was <laughs> yeah. like pibbles. Yeah, my uh, accent comes out sometimes. What's that? <laughs> what's that? That new breed. Um, Natalie says I love shamelessly jamming out to the latest tween pop sensation with my students. I love listening to a song that brings out an emotion in me. I love sharing a small bed with a big dog. My last one is uh, I love uh, going to a a nice and quiet beach and just hearing the ocean. Well, that's a beautiful one to end on. Uh, Juan Medina, yep. thank you so much for uh, coming on, and I'm glad you contacted me. And it was really nice um, hearing your story, and thanks for sharing your life with with me and the listeners. Oh, thank you for having me, Paul. It was great. Many thanks to uh, to Juan. And I uh, just emailed him, as I, as I like to do when I recorded an episode a couple of months ago, give my guest a heads up that it's going to be coming out and to, to check in on them and see how they're doing. And Juan is uh, happy to report that he has just made his first appointment to go to uh, to therapy. So, yay! That's like my favorite email to get. Um, before I take it out with uh, a bunch of surveys, uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to the, the listeners that came out to LA PodFest uh, last weekend. It was awesome. My guest was Aisha Tyler, and we'll be uh, posting that episode um, sometime in the in the near future. Um, but it was just so great to see you guys in person and to just feel the the love and the support and um I couldn't have been couldn't have been happier and it was just a great weekend there were such great podcasters there the stand up show was hilarious um I got to be a guest on um Mark Marin's uh podcast and uh it was just fun just fun um the website as i mentioned for the show is uh, mentalpod.com and um go there and if you want to, uh, there's a couple different ways to support the the show. You can support us financially by going to the website and um, making a one-time PayPal donation or a recurring monthly donation, which aids greatly in keeping this show going. And um, we're you know we're not to the point where I can make this my my full-time gig, even though it it is my my full-time gig. It's it's not. It's not supporting me yet, and uh, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant that I want to support myself, but that's my dream to uh, to do that. And if you can afford it, it's as little as five bucks a month. I would really appreciate it if you would sign up to be a monthly donor. And if not, con- continue listening um, because I know there's a lot of people out there that um, that do listen and don't have the money to contribute, and that's totally cool, too. I, I didn't start this to um, become supported by it. Um, I started to hear myself talk. 
Um, you can also support the show non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice, giving us a good rating, or um, spreading the word through social media. Really, really appreciate that. Um, post it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. There's a subreddit page. Um, please, please spread the word. That that really helps. That brings more listeners. And uh, when I do get the occasional um, advertiser, um, it brings in more money. Uh, if we have more listeners. So you can help that way. Let's get to the surveys. A lot of shame and secret surveys. Um, that's funny. When I'm, uh, some weeks, I, that's all I kind of want to read and, and print out. Other times, I, I'm into the other ones. Oh, stop apologizing. Jesus Christ, just read the fucking survey. This is filled out by Kathleen. She, uh, and I just want to read the this, this portion of it. Um, you ever been the, she's straight in her 30s, you ever been the victim of uh, sexual abuse? And um, she says some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, one night when I was 19, I was hanging out with a man who I'd been casually seeing. We had had sex before. On this particular night, I had taken what he told me was ecstasy, which I had taken before, and then smoked some pot. I became so intoxicated that I couldn't move my body. I felt like my head was floating separate from my body and our voices sounded really far away. He then told me it wasn't ecstasy that I had taken, but special K. The next thing I remember, he had taken off my clothes and put me in his shower. I remember leaning against the shower wall thinking I was going to die. I had never been that messed up before uh, or since. The next thing I remember is being in his bed and he was having sex with me. I remember being completely disassociated um, and thinking, this is like the end of the movie, kids. I must have passed out. Um, this is like the end of the movie, kids. I must have passed out after that. The next thing I remember is him putting me in a cab the next morning and sending me home. I spent the next week or so in a total state of detachment. It took me years to even consider that it was date rape. Even now, I fear that people will tell me I'm overreacting and that it wasn't rape. Needless to say, I never reported it. I stopped seeing the guy shortly after it happened. Oh, Kathleen, I just want to give you a hug. That was rape. No two ways about it. That was criminal. And any person that would tell you that you're overreacting should be punched first in the face, then in the stomach, and then their toes stomped on. Please go talk to somebody about that. That is traumatic. Traumatic. and needs to be processed. Um, we're going to jump to a happy moment. This is filled out by my, I got a lot of happy moments, um, this week and please go fill those out. They're my, one of my favorite things to read. This is, and the more sublime, the better. Uh, this is filled out by Montana guy who writes, I have a couple happy moments with my grandmother. The first is the feeling of her nails when she would gently rub my hand before bed. I love the affection. And when I felt that from my wife, it brings a smile to my face. The second is my grandma making animal pancakes. This was fascinating as a kid. I didn't know how she could do it. The next morning, there it would be, an elephant, rabbit, whatever. It was uniquely her own, and I'm happy to still have those memories. That's sweet. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Ariana. She is uh, in her 20s, uh, bisexual, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. By the way, our longtime listeners know that it is so rare that somebody 
says some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts, that it is actually in a gray area. Um, she writes, when I attended my dad's wedding at 15, an older male cousin put me on his lap and looked at me weirdly. It made me feel uncomfortable as he looked me up and down and leered at me, but I sat there frozen, which is an extremely common reaction, by the way. Um, the room was filled with people, kids and adults, but nobody questioned it. Eventually, I ran away and tried to avoid him the rest of the time. When I was younger than that, however, my older cousin had me lay on top of her and hump her. I don't know if I wanted to or was curious, but I did even though I was uncomfortable. Uh, I was able to have an orgasm, and now, whether related or not, I cannot have sex on top. I try but often feel ashamed or tired, and I feel horrible that I can't do it. When I read this, Ariana, um, and I read you describe that feeling of being tired, it hit me like a freight train. I have felt that so many times in my life during sex, and it's usually when I'm in an intimate relationship, you know, it would be when I was in a committed relationship with somebody, and there was... I don't know how to describe it, but I would just feel like I was going to fall asleep and it had nothing to do with them. It was, and it, here's the interesting thing. It's the same feeling I get when I first get excited about going to woodwork and then I think about all the mistakes I'm going to make. And I think the thing that they both have in common is that there's a pressure there, a self-imposed pressure. And I don't know where it comes from in me or where it comes from in you, but I think it's important to look at and I want you to know that you're not alone and, and it helped me to hear you express that that way. Um, and don't minimize the feelings that you had with your with your cousins. Um, and I think it would be good to talk to somebody um, about that. Um, there's a thing that she shares in her deep, deepest, darkest secrets that I think is also um, traumatic. Uh, she writes, when I was younger, to stop some kids in my class from bullying me, I gave two of the guys oral sex in a public public place. Uh, I was in seventh or eighth grade. When I got to ninth grade, the boys had spread the story in my high school, uh, and in my high school and their own. Because of that, I got bullied more. Uh, in college, I first had unprotected sex with a boyfriend because while manic, I thought that I would be protected from getting pregnant because I was superhuman. I never told him because I felt horrible and stupid, but I didn't get on birth control right away. I used to dissociate during sexual activities, just float away or tune out. Now with my husband, I feel horrible for not being able to be on top or go for as long. Do not apologize about that and... My personal belief is that we shouldn't, when sex feels like, even if it's with somebody we love and we trust, I think it's important to go to not do it when we're not feeling it. And But we have a responsibility as a partner to be working hard on ourselves to process what is underneath that. So go to a therapist. You owe it, you owe it to your husband to go to talk to somebody about this and process it. And you owe it to yourself to not have sex when you don't want to. I was trying to say that came out pretty good this was uh same survey filled out by charlie uh he is gay in his 30s was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it deepest darkest thoughts i get sexually attracted to many of my friends and end up spying on them through windows doors phones and their computers 
Uh, deepest, darkest secrets. I molested my younger brother when I was 13 and he was five. Um, the, the day after Thanksgiving in 2008, I was raped. I feel like I deserved it. No person deserves uh, to be raped, um, Charlie. But I would encourage you to go to get help for um, what sounds like a sexual addiction with the, with the stuff that you're doing. Don't wait until you burn your life to the ground. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful. Uh, voyeurism, particularly when coupled with someone else's exhibitionism. Second or third to that is where I'm in abusive control or degrading submission. Um, yeah, I think the voyeurism is fine when other people know they're they're being watched and participating, but the, that other stuff, you don't want to you don't want to ruin your life or somebody else's. Um, this is a same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Renee Elise, and I just want to read one portion of it. A deepest darkest secrets. She writes, "I work at a small family-run boutique and recently haven't been able to resist my urge to steal." I hate myself for this, especially since the owners treat me like family. I have also recently started back to college for the third and hopefully last attempt, but I can't stop the bad habits that caused me to drop out before. I skip class a lot, and I spend most of the time panicking about the possibility I'll have to drop out again. How disappointed my family, friends, and boyfriend will be if this happens. I also smoke way too much marijuana. What used to settle my anxiety now aggravates it. I am addicted, and it's starting to take over my life. There is help. There is help, Renee. And it, sound, it sounds like you're, there's a part of you that, that wants to, to sabotage yourself, and um, a good place to start might be a support group for that, being addicted to, uh, to smoking weed um, or stealing. Um, this is from, same survey from Busy Boy. He is straight in his 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, some stuff happened, but he doesn't know if it counts as sexual abuse. Uh, mom encouraged me to touch her in ways that crossed the line. I was too young to know it was weird. Um, well, since you didn't say what it was specifically, um, I, don't, I don't know, but it doesn't sound uh, like it was... Uh, not sexual it sounds sexually abusive to me you know a mom encouraging her, her her kid to touch her in ways that felt weird um yeah i don't know how that couldn't be sexually abusive uh deepest darkest thoughts too many to go into detail deepest darkest secrets about an hour ago i met up with a hooker in a hotel room uh, she was sexy as hell and i was raring to go trouble is i jerk off so much that i let myself um quote, disabled this time and couldn't get up to fuck the hooker tonight. It was humiliating to leave her 10 minutes after arriving at her door. On the bright side, maybe I'll be spared a case of VD or something worse. Still, I'm feeling like a lightweight for not kicking a field goal. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm trying not to think about sex at the moment. Wish me luck. Um, Secrets and thoughts generating any particular feelings, disgust at the moment. I try pretty hard to be a, quote, real man sometimes, yet it often seems like that is a goal I will always fall short of. Well, I would encourage you to get rid of the idea uh, of a real man that our media portrays um, and go to talk to somebody about what happened with your mom and about your sexual compulsions. In the meantime, sending you a big warm hug. 
Uh, same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Annoyed Grunt. Um, straight, in his 30s, and he only filled out part of the survey. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. In eighth grade, a classmate talked me into jerking him off at his house. I didn't want to and got no pleasure from it, but I thought I had to as he was one of the popular kids and I had no friends. It sounds abusive to me, you know, even though he was he was your peer. Um, you know, that sounds like coercion, like, like he was using his popularity. But, you know, whatever category it falls into doesn't matter. It's what you felt that, that counts. And deepest, darkest thoughts, fantasize about people mourning my death. Um, we ought to start a club for those of us that fantasize about a sea of people being sad the day we die. Um, and it could also be a brother slash sister group with those of us who fantasize about nobody coming or a single person getting up and talking shit about us. Those, those seems to be the, the kind of binary responses to that, uh, that survey that we have um, the shouldn't feel this way survey. Anyway, continuing. I imagine killing myself and seeing other people's reactions. In high school, I imagine strapping explosives to my body and exploding in front of the entire school. Uh, I just call that showmanship. Uh, worst, I fantasize about family members dying and other people hugging me as I mourn. I am most disturbed by this. Uh, buddy, that sounds like such a human feeling to have that you just want to be hugged. And for most of us, we can't imagine why anybody would hug us. So we have to picture something dramatic like somebody dying. But what's so awesome about support groups is, like just tonight, came from my support group. I must have got 20 hugs, and I was feeling kind of depressed when I rolled in there. And I just felt like my chest was going to burst open with with joy and warmth by the time I, I left. You know, and I heard somebody in, in the group say... Um, when I stop coming here, all I see myself is through my eyes, and I forget what it looks like to see myself through your eyes, and it almost made me cry. So beautiful. Uh, this is filled out by a woman, who uh, same survey, uh, who calls herself I Have No Last Name. She's uh, bisexual uh, and qualifies in a lesbian relationship for 24 years, never been with a man. I do find some men sexually attractive, and in another life, I would be bi. She's in her 40s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Mother was a rescuer, mostly of people who would then fuck her over, and in one case, raped her. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, mother was sexually inappropriate with me for my entire life until her death when I was 40. And by the way, uh, I am not specifically plucking out ones where moms are sexually uh, inappropriate um, because that happens to be part of my story. Um, this truly is these surveys as they as I printed them them out. Um, but it does bring me comfort to know that it's not that rare of a thing. Sorry, you guys had to go through it, but um, anyway. Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts, suicide. I think about it constantly, but no, it would, it would destroy my partner and I can't do that to her. Deepest, darkest secrets. I self-harm, but in a unique way. I just don't take care of my body or mind uh, until recently. I'm obese, have diabetes, and a family history of cardiac problems. I will go into a situation where I know I'm going to get injured just to get injured. I have no regard for myself. No one really knows how this all goes. Sometimes not even me. 
Well, I'm sending you a big, big hug. Um, this is from Island Man. Same survey. Um, he is gay in his 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts. I think a lot about how my anxiety has given me a poverty of experiences socially that I'll never recover from, that I'll be a loner until I die, that I've never really had a best friend I felt genuinely close to, that I'm going to have to hit rock bottom before I really want to change anything, uh, but that I have no idea how scary that bottom is going to be or if I'm going to be able to climb back out. Well, that's deep. That's deep. And I can tell you, um, maybe you will, maybe you will have to get it, you know, a bottom in your isolating. Um, but it can be the best thing that ever happens to us. Deepest, darkest secrets. I love to drink alone. In high school, I would, uh, by the way, I loved to drink alone. Um, in high school, I would take my lunch into the bathroom and eat on the toilet because I was so afraid of eating with other people. My best friends growing up made me feel like an object of ridicule for being gay. They don't sound like very good friends. Uh, lying about my sexuality every day in high school wrapped me up into a knot that I've never even come close to unwinding. I'm afraid that I've met so many strangers online for sex that monogamous sex with a long-term partner wouldn't be exciting enough for me anymore. I cheated on the only person I really was deeply in love with and in the moment of decision had a terrifying burst of clarity where I realized I wanted to burn my life down to the ground because it was starting to feel good and I didn't deserve it. Wow, you you are able to really go um, deep and really see some profound shit. Uh, continuing, I wanted to burn my life... Uh, oh, um, I'm unemployed and have been turning down jobs recently because the thought of having to face a group of people with a smile every day is too tall an order. I think my social anxiety boils down to a fear, a knowledge even, that other people can see through me, like cracked thin ice into the gaping maw just below the surface. So why even bother taking that maw out for a walk? Well, first of all, I'm struck by what a great writer you are. And second, I'm thought by, I'm struck by... Um, how, how much I hope you reach out for help. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful. Anonymous sex in public restrooms, sex in public places, having sex while people watch. Um, I'm so sorry that you had to be treated the way you, you were in, in high school. Um, but there are people that will love you. There are people that will love you. Um, this is the uh, same survey filled out by crew, a woman who calls herself Crew Woman 6. She's bisexual in her 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was about four or five, I played with a boy from next door on weekends and during the summer. I want to say he was somewhere around 10, maybe 11. I don't remember. One afternoon, we were in my room, and he asked me to play doctor. Like the naive child I was, I thought it would be fun. This was not the game I thought it would be. Silly me to think we were actually pretending to be doctors. At any rate, he touched me, and it wasn't until later when I was 14 and experimenting with sex did I realize it was the same touching. I tried to tell my mother about it, but she didn't seem to understand. I suspect she eventually figured it out because he wasn't allowed to come over again. I'm not sure if just 
simple touch really counts, but it was enough to stick with me still almost 30 years later. Yes, a simple touch counts. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts. I sometimes dream about running away, away from my loving fiance and my two daughters, away from my job and my friends. I know I would go on a true bender, getting high and drunk and just not giving a shit about all the things people tell me. I should give a shit about. I dream about this, but I don't do it because I realize I couldn't leave my life behind completely. Eventually I would miss it, but a few days would be enough to get all the demons out of my brain or at least quiet them long enough to sleep. Boy, I hope you're I hope you're doing some kind of self-care or nice things for yourself, you know, maybe go to a spa or take a weekend away with some friends. Uh deepest darkest secrets uh, been a functioning anorexic in my past. I have starved myself because I thought it would make me happy. I've also gone to a man's home just for drugs and anonymous sex. Uh, I, to this day, do not know his name or anything else about him for that matter, but it was what I felt I needed at the time. Um, sexual uh, fantasies most powerful to you? I have fantasies all the time uh, about being dominated by a man and a woman. The most common involves my being tied up and tortured by them both with whips, chains, nipple clamps, and toys. It's never painful or horrendous, but the loss of control and not feeling self-conscious about what others think is perfect. I'm glad you added that about not feeling self-conscious about what others think. It never occurred to me that that could be what giving control up is about because we're not doing anything, so we can't be judged. Because I do, I do fantasize about that sometimes uh, as well, and I always wonder, you know, what 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 is that about? Um, this is a happy moment survey filled out by, uh, and thank you for that, um, crew woman. This is filled out by Kyle, um, and he writes, "When I lived, this is a happy moment survey. He writes, when I lived with my parents, I mostly took care of the dog." One day while walking him, I got Quiznos and went to the park to smoke a joint. Uh, in parentheses, I am clean today. I let Brody, my dog, off his leash so he could explore and not be around the smoke as I consumed my garbage. Uh, I was disgusting and obsessing um, about anxiety and depression when Bo Brody came and sat beside me. He seemed to understand my addiction and issues, and contrary to the people in my life, he had the freedom of the entire park, and the only place he wanted to be was beside me in the sunlight. For the next 10 minutes, I felt more relief than any drug or food could give me. I love that. That's so beautiful. I think that's why I love my dogs, too, is just when they come and sit next to me. It's, I know they're probably thinking, hey, feed me, but I like to think that they're digging me. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself pained runner. He's straight in his 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts, that I should be pushed both physically and emotionally for mistakes I have made in my relationship. Deepest, darkest secrets. I was involved in an online emotional affair. Uh, though much time has passed, I am still unable to completely move on. Note, I have not contacted the other person in more than a year. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you? Sexual domination or cuckolding, which I realize stems from my compulsive desire to reach out for emotional nourishment outside my marriage. When my wife was extremely um, business with work or family, I mistook her focus for intentional inattentiveness 
and I look to fulfill my needs outside of my marriage. Because of that, I am drawn to mild forms of submission, BDSM, and find hand slaps on my genitals extremely stimulating. Also, I fantasize about my partner engaging in her own extramarital affair, typically with one or more interracial partners. This is stimulating because of the still taboo nature of interracial relationships in mainstream society. It boils down to knowing I hurt my partner by straying. I want to know that same feeling, but with a definite sexual component. Uh, Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? I've shared this with her. I've only recently put the pieces together. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I'm trying not to assign any feelings to these thoughts. I do feel guilty or, quote, less than at times. Then I consider that I am not responsible for my thoughts, but I am responsible for my actions. Whether I act on these thoughts or um, compel slash coerce my partner into living out these thoughts. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Happy moment from Sasha. Over the summer, I took a course to be certified as an emergency dispatcher. On the last day of class, we had to take fake calls and dispatch them appropriately. I was last to go, and after my scenario was over and everybody was milling about, my instructor came over to talk to me. She shook my hand and said, you're going to be great. It's the greatest compliment I've ever received, and it came from someone I really respect. It made me feel like I could I could do anything and succeed. I was so elated that someone had confidence in me and my abilities that the background hum of my constant anxiety was entirely forgotten for the rest of the day. This isn't a hugely happy moment, but it was the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. Thank you for that. I love moments like that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, um, filled out by a woman who calls herself Brunhilde. She's straight in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts, I want my boyfriend's mother to die. Die is in capital letters. I've seriously wished she would die on more than one occasion, including when she was in an operation. She is a chronic alcoholic, caustic presence, and is just a drain on me and my and, uh, boyfriend's relationships in future. My mother is white trash and is turning my brothers into fat miserable oh my mother okay two different people um my mother is white trash and is turning my brothers into fat miserable slobs you can't be fat and happy and healthy oh jesus i'm fucking this one up you can be fat and happy and healthy but not if you look to food for love trust me i know i'm terrified of becoming overweight because my mother and about 75% of my family is. My broad shoulders and broad hips seem to suggest that it will happen eventually. Deepest, darkest secrets. I got into opera and public radio to try and rise above, above my family's class. I have called my own mother a cunt several times, and she, she bleeped it out. Uh, C, asterisk, asterisk, uh, T. Uh, never to her face. I have contemplated stealing several times in my life because I felt that I deserved the money more than the people who currently had it. I am terrified of becoming what I am, a writer. Um, I don't know any writer that's not a little terrified about what they do for a living. Any person in a creative field that doesn't have moments of panic like, oh, fuck, I've created my last good thing. The well is dry. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm a switch BDSM. Um, I can't, 
can't, the, the print is kind of fucked up on this. Um, oh, I see. I'm a switch BDSM wise, which I attribute um, partly to the fact that punishment was never really attributed in a linear way in my childhood. The release that comes from dealing or receiving punishment is very cleansing. I'm also into hourglass expansion, which is a vi- which is very rare for a woman. I'm not a lesbian or bi either, so I'm not sure where it comes from. I had to look that up, uh, hourglass expansion, uh, which I believe is kind of fetishizing women that have extremely, extremely curvy um, figures. Um, and I don't know if that is in reality or if it's just in art that... Um, where they're drawn that way that the person is attracted to. But um, she writes, my partner knows everything. He is a fetishist himself and it draws us closer and varies our sex life. Well, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Um, This is from Confused College Woman from the Shame and Secret Survey. She is uh, straight, uh, although she writes, I am unsure. Sometimes I think about other women sexually, but I am attracted to men. However, when having intercourse with a man, I don't enjoy it, though I've never been with another woman, but I find them sexually appealing. Well, I encourage you to check it out. She is 18, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I think about getting high all the time and self-injury. The thought of a blade bringing forth scarlet makes me shiver, but I love it. I think about sex with women, but question my sexuality. Um, Stop. Stop questioning your sexuality. It's such a waste of time. Um, Deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, I've been raped multiple times and molested as a young child, uh, age five, six, seven-ish. I'm so sorry. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to take control because I've had it taken from me so many times. Mostly, I just want passionate sex with love. I don't want pressure. I want to receive but not give. I don't want to be controlled. I see all of those things as being totally doable with the right partner. And the fact that you want to experience love um, with sex is an awesome sign. Would you ever consider telling a partner close friend your fantasies? Yes and no. I would, but I'm fearful because I'm afraid a partner would leave if I don't want to have sex or reciprocate sexual things. That's why I think it'd be so good to process this with a therapist or support group because then you'd be ready um, for that person um, in a way that just getting into a relationship, um, you know, you'd have some momentum in going in, in your recovery from that terrible stuff that happened to you. Um do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I hate myself for it. I am so confused. Oh, please don't hate yourself. And it's totally normal to be confused. Christ, who isn't confused at 18? Who's who's not confused at 48, 38, 58? In fact, I think I'm probably going to go out with a perplexed look on my face. Um... Same survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Gin Drinker, uh, straight in his 40s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. He doesn't uh, go into any detail. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts, I think I'm a full-blown sex addict. It's on my mind way too often for it to be normal. Uh, I don't even want a relationship these days. I just want to fuck, then be left alone. Um, that's really common for people who've been sexually abused. 
Um, that's really common for people. Uh, deepest, darkest secrets. I'm interacting with prostitutes a lot lately. Not only do I hire them for sex, I carry on text and or phone conversations with the ones that seem to like it. Uh, I was house-sitting uh, for my folks recently and had a girl meet me at my parents' place for a romp. I actually found myself fucking this chick on the bed my 68-year-old mom sleeps in. That is a new low for me. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want any and all women that are out of my league. I watch them in the malls and sometimes offer them cash to hook up. It's a degrading practice, dangerous too, since a jealous husband may be near. But in that moment, I seem almost helpless to fight the impulse uh, to be a creepy asshole. You know, this reminds me of the previous survey about the guy that, 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 can't, that can't stop himself, the guy that's photographing um, people and just seems hell-bent on, on burning his life to the ground. I encourage you to get help before you burn your life to the ground or hurt somebody. Um, you probably already hate to say it, but you probably already have, um, I'm sure freaked, freaked people out. Um, um, let's see. Do you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? Uh, there's no one to tell really. I pretty much work, sleep and socialize with hookers. Sad, but true. Oh, buddy, get in a support group, get in a support group. You will have people that will not judge you. It will love you. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Sometimes I wish I was more normal in a relationship and going to Ikea instead of some shitty motel to meet a girl that needs lots of dental work. Uh, that is a vivid picture. Uh, but I had that involved life before a few times and I always ended up it always ended up badly even I, when I tried hard to be a good egg. Go ahead and mock my terminology, Paul. Laugh out loud. Um, you know, try, I'm not going to mock your terminology because um, I'm just thinking how textbook that is for an addict that you try to self-will your way into not engaging in destructive behavior. Um, I know I need to clean up my act, but on many days now, I lack inspiration to be a better man. I know that's that's the thing that's so hard is we lack that desire to change. And it seems like sometimes we have to be looking into the jaws of death to go, you know what, this isn't working. I need to I need to ask for help. I hope you ask for help, buddy. I really do. Um, and our final survey is a happy moment filled out by Taylor, uh, who writes, it's a bit of a long story, so I'll apologize ahead of time. I played football all throughout high school. I was never all that great and didn't get much playing time on the varsity squad. I always felt so alone. And even though I was on this team of 60 other people, um, I always felt so alone even though I was on this team of 60 other people. Uh, however, I found my place on the JV team where I started on both sides of the ball. I loved away games. We would wake up in an ungodly hour on Saturday mornings to play some other group of bench warmers two hours away from us. We would get on the bus and start our journey through all of this open farmland. I'd gaze out the window and look at the random assortment of crops and farm animals until I dozed off. When we finally got there, we would stretch, review a few of our offensive and defensive assignments, and then I and a few other seniors would meet the opposing team for the coin toss. I felt like a leader and like I was important to the team. 
I felt a sense of belonging that I hadn't felt any other time during high school. Whether we won or lost, I always felt like we were this group of misfits that were just out there because we all want all we wanted to do was play and show off our unrecognized talents. There was no pressure to live up to any expectations, and that's what made me so happy. That's beautiful. And I also love it because people think, oh, if you make a sports team, you're all automatically in and you automatically feel a part of. That's how I used to. I was too small to play football in high school, and I used to look with envy at the guys that were big enough and athletic enough to play it. And thank you for for reminding us that just because you get in the door doesn't mean that you, you feel a part of. Um, and I hope that anybody out there um, that's feeling not a part of, I hope you know from me reading all these surveys and saying the stuff I say that there are places where you can feel alone, where you can get into that ocean of energy that suffuses the universe and uh oh my stomach's growling i better get something to eat and go look up the word suffuse and um sending you guys a big hug thank you for being such uh, such a big part of my life and bringing such meaning to my life and um i'm just really really grateful and i hope that you know that you're not alone and thanks for listening Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.